0: Hi, Thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Welcome back, all of you young people and staff. Heard some great reports from last w- weekend and looking forward to hearing more from that. But uh, just excited what God is doing. We're continuing a series um, from Dallas Willard's book, the, A Life Without Lack. I'm using that as an outline uh, to teach through Psalm 23. And uh, I think it's been a tremendous time. Already, we started off with Bob Sorge, and uh, he was talking about that our trials are difficulties and are not an end, they are just a beginning, they're a resurrection. And he used the term, they are a womb, not a tomb. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, it was absolutely powerful. And then Pastor Zach, for a couple weeks, just laid out some um, beautiful foundation beginning with uh, the thing of what we fix our mind on matters. And uh, that was, again, one of the foundational things that is going to help us to move forward. Then he came back and he talked about uh, how important it is to see God for who he is, the all-sufficient one, um, the only being in all the universe that has no lack, absolutely no lack. I think it was A.W. Tozer, it said, what we think about God is the most important thing about us uh, because that's the foundation of our faith and it's the foundation of, of how we trust trust Him. And then Pastor Tim shared that we were created to glorify God and to um, spread His goodness in the earth. And then last week, he talked about um, just the spiritual warfare around living a life of lack, and that uh, Satan is the source of lack, and uh, he unpacked that in a, in a great way. Uh, but um, maybe you'd, I think most all of you know me pretty well. I, I like that little welcome. Thank you. Um, but uh, I'm Rod, and this is my wife, Marcella. Uh We've been attending here for about two and a half years, and um, retired after about 35 years as a lead pastor And now I get to do just the fun stuff, uh, like this, and uh, and and that's that's awesome. It's actually kind of fortunate that I'm preaching today because two months ago I had a dream. I was sitting in the front here, and Pastor Tim announced that I was no longer on the preaching team. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was just one of those really real dreams, you know. And I can't. I guess the reason was I had a confrontation with. One of the members, I think it was Terry, and uh, and uh, so Tim said, "You're out of here," uh, but I told Tim about it, and he said, "No, that was not a prophetic dream. That was a pathetic dream," and so uh, here I am. You know, we're gonna we're gonna try to do this again. Some of you have read along, or read forward in the book, and you have figured out that what we've talked about so far is just basic presuppositions, foundations for really the heart and meat of what it means to live a life of lack. They're super important, but we're going to talk, beginning today, about the three keys as Dallas unpacks them of trust, death to self, and agape love. And that's really the the real essence of what it means to live in a way that the Lord is our shepherd, and live that life of trust. And so I'm excited about beginning to unpack this beginning thing. And I tell you, it's so, it's so broad that you could spend years, and we won't do that today, um, but we could spend a very long time talking about this, this topic of trust. Um, and it's not simple, you know? We, and I did it myself when I first got this book about a year ago, I thought, okay, I'm looking for the simple formula to live a life of lack. How many of you figured out that that's not the case? It's, it's not a simple formula. In fact, I, I like the title of Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience, um, Discipleship for a uh, Society of Instant. And unfortunately, that's, that's where we, we find ourselves, in that place of, of instant. But I, I'll, I'll guarantee you this. If you will take hold of these messages... And you will not just make it a Sunday weekend appearance, but you will say, God, I really want this to be worked into my life. God will begin doing that work in you. I've uh, been with Jesus for 60 years, walked with Jesus, was five years old when I first accepted the Lord. And uh, I'm not even close to arriving, but I'm still striving. And I want more. Just like we were saying today, I want more. And that's the heart. God responds to. He responds to a heart that says, God, I want more. I want to take hold of everything you have. Let's uh, stand together, and I'd like us to read this uh, psalm again uh, together, and so we're going to read that in in unison here as soon as it comes up. Maybe. Got it? Not quite. Hello. <laughs> okay, it's up there spiritual. I'm going to read and you can follow. Oh, there we go. Okay, ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for just the richness of your word. Lord, this written thousands of years ago by a man who pursued you, uh, a man that was called a man after your own heart. And God, today we want your heart. We want to be called like David, a man or a woman after your heart that desires, that longs for, that goes after You. And so, Lord, we pray today, come by your Holy Spirit and teach us. Lord, I just yield myself to you as your vessel that God you might speak through me. But Lord, we all yield ourselves as vessels to receive your word implanted that is able to save our soul. And Lord, we just thank you for this time and we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I just wanted to welcome those of you online as well. And uh, say it's great to have you. Thanks for, for joining us. I wish I could say I've got this figured out. I've memorized Psalm 23 when I was a young child and have read it more times than I can count. Um, but it's still a work in progress. But this is the good news. I think it was a work in progress for David. David wrote this psalm We don't know exactly the timing of the Psalms and when they were written, but he referred to a time in his life as a young man that he was a shepherd. And he uses this analogy of sheep and shepherds to uh, try to describe this interaction, this relationship with God that God longs to have with us. But I don't believe David arrived, not in any stretch of the imagination. I wonder, did he write this before he wrote uh, Psalm 51 and he had the downfalling with Bathsheba? Uh, I don't know. But I just know that David was in process just like we are. And I think that gives us hope that uh, God has more for us to be able to, to press into. Part of what David was writing was his experience, yes, yes. But part of it was a faith declaration. When he said, "The Lord is my shepherd," he was making a faith declaration, and we need to do that. We need to claim that. We need to stand on that. And say, "God, you are my shepherd." Am I fully experiencing it? No. I'm in process of that that coming about in fuller and in deeper ways. But it's good just to read the psalm over and make that your your proclamation, living in this reality of the Lord is our shepherd is, is growing in our trust of who he is and surrendering and and falling into his arms, as it were, and allowing him to, to carry us, allowing him to shepherd us, allowing him to, to care for us. Well, what is trust? Let's just get very, very basic. What, what is that uh, all about. One thing it is, it's, it's, in one sense, it's, it's as common as breathing. It's something that we do each and every day. Right now, you're sitting on chairs comfortably without fear because you trust that those chairs will hold your weight. Part of that has been experienced. You've experienced it over and over again, and, and, uh, you realize that that will happen. Um, you are here without fear that the roof isn't going to fall in. You trust that the architects and the people have structurally built it in a way that it's not going to fall in on you. So we all live in trust in, in just an ordinary and in common area of life. Uh, the reason I go fishing is because I trust I will catch a fish, okay? Hopefully bigger than nations fish, Okay. I knew that picture was going to come in handy someday, but I want to catch one more like this. In fact, see that one? Two and a half pound largemouth bass. That's what Mark and I and Colin and Sam are going to catch this afternoon, okay? So, but we do that because we trust, right? You, you expect, you believe that something is going to come. Now I'm going to, speaking of Nation and Carter and, and Audrey, I'm going to have them come up here. Um, and hopefully, uh, Nation's going to follow through this since I just uh, kind of threw him under the bus there with the fishing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you see, trust is something that we do all the time. It's where, but it's where we put our trust, okay? Um, I, I came up with this thought this, this week that fear is putting more trust in Satan's ability to mess things up than in God's ability to redeem them. Isn't that good? I, I, I thought it was. <laughs> so um, so this, but, but I, had a, I had a group of people, uh, about a dozen people that uh, were on a text stream with me to help me preach today. And one of the questions, I think it was Carter said, okay, what is trust? And he said, yeah, is trust necessary? Well, trust is really the foundation in the essence of all relationship, you cannot have a relationship. It's the glue that holds a relationship together. Uh, and, and you can't, without some level of trust, have any kind of relationship with another person, but, but it must be cultivated. It's not something passive. It's something that, that, that we, we build trust. It's kind of like a muscle. Uh, you have to both exercise it and you need to feed it. You need to feed it with God's word, and you need to step out in faith to strengthen that muscle. So what does trust look like? This is why I've got these people up here. Handsome, beautiful-looking family we've got here. (laughs) So uh, first of all, a nation is going to demonstrate what trust is because he is going to fall, and Lord willing, his brother... (laughs) Is not going to pull the stunt, but he's going to actually catch him, okay? So, okay, just kind of hold your breath here. Here we go. Let it be. (laughs) (laughs) He's having a hard time, trust it. (laughs) That was good, Okay. Now, Carter, why don't you stand up here? Okay. Audrey, now you come over and you catch him. No, we're not going to do that. (laughs) You see, because that's the lesson from Zach's message about we need to trust the all-sufficient one, right? That's why we need to know God. We need to know that He is capable, that He is able to catch us. And that really is a pretty powerful illustration, because to one degree or another, all of us are holding back on our trust of God. Will you really catch me? Will you really take care of me? In the dark place, in the hard place, will you be there for me? That's why people are not Christians. It's because they don't trust God. They don't trust that God will be there for them. They would rather trust themselves than trust God. That's kind of what it boils down to. But as we are learning to... Grow in our level of trust, and by the way, by the way, there are levels of trust. Okay, trust. Sometimes we think of trust as binary, either we do or we don't. But you notice, nation, he kind of hesitated a little bit. He thought, "I know my brother," (laughs) and and we we have levels of trust. And Dallas really um, lays this out well in uh, this in the book there in this chapter five. So as I said, trust is something we grow in. It's like a muscle uh, that we both both have to feed. We feed with the word of God. We feed by getting to know God and to understand his ways. And we exercise it by being obedient to what he calls us to do. And so the first level of trust that uh, he talks about is the trust of propriety. Now, I had to look up that word propriety uh, to figure out exactly what he was meaning by that. And it simply is the state or quality of conforming to conventional accepted standards or behavior or morals. It's, okay, I'm going to have faith, I'm going to keep the rules, and if I keep the rules, God is going to take care of me. And uh, it, it's kind of a transactional faith. How many of you have been there? A transactional faith? Yeah? Okay, some of you are honest, the rest of you are lying. Okay, uh, just, just so we know where we're at. Uh, but it's, it's something that we don't even know is there until it comes to light <clears throat> through a challenging time in our life. And, and this is one of the key indicators to know if you have a proprietary faith is when things go wrong, Very wrong, very badly. When something traumatic happens, when when a crisis comes into your life, the first thought that comes to you is, what did I do wrong to deserve this? I've had all kinds of people as a pastor come to me in their place of crisis and, and wanting me to explain to them what they did wrong. That is a faith of propriety. It's a faith of trust. Now, it's not a bad thing, by the way. God loves for us to, quote, keep the rules. He wants us to do what is right, and there is great benefit in doing what's right. But the moment that we think that we are earning something, the moment we think that somehow that uh, is is the reason, the doing good things, that God takes care of me, God needs to shape things a bit. He has to bring us to a place of understanding that true trust is a trust not based on merit, but it's based on His grace and on His goodness. This is what Dallas Willard says. He says, one of the things you find in people who have not suffered much is their tendency to believe in propriety. But when they have the sawdust knocked out of them a few times, they lose their great faith. In propriety, Okay. We're going to take 90 seconds, everybody's favorite time, 90 seconds to discuss a, a simple question. So what I want you to do is pair up or group up in one or two groups. Take 90 seconds. This is the question. Have you experienced a time in your life when your faith had the sawdust knocked out of you? You know what I mean by that. Um, and you wondered what you had done wrong that God allowed you to be in such a difficult place, okay? 90 seconds beginning now. Okay, time's up. Awesome. Did you learn something? Okay, you can keep those secrets to yourself because what happens at River Valley stays at River Valley, so don't, don't tell on anybody, okay? So that's the first thing is this trust of propriety, kind of this transactional faith. Well. Uh, Dallas in his book is, is really drawing from the book of Job and uh, unpacking something for us to kind of look at what happened to Job's faith. And, and Job went from this, this being very uh, strong, I mean, it's, God was bragging on him. He says, if you notice my servant Job, there's no one like him in all the earth. So again, that trust of propriety was a, a good thing. God gave him commendation for that. Um, but then, of course, the enemy comes. If you've read the book of Job, and he, and he just attacks him, and, there is, and God allows it. God allows Job to go through uh, the unthinkable, losing his family, losing his property, losing his health. And, you know, we can deal with a lot of things, but you, get losing your health, and that's, that's difficult, isn't it? And, and so Job went through this process, and he went into this place of, of desperation. And this is what C.S. Lewis says about pain. He says, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. When God allows things into our lives, it's not his anger, it's his love. He is calling us closer. He says, I want you to learn to allow me to be your shepherd. I want to bring you into a place. And so that that faith of desperation is a, is a really unavoidable step to being able to uh, grow in our faith and come to a place. As I was going through this, I was just thinking, you know, is, is it even possible uh, to really mature in your faith without difficulty, without trials, without disappointments, uh, without things that would happen to us? Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean upon your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Okay, that's the role of a shepherd. But it's our role to not trust in ourselves, right? It's our trust to let go and let God be able to work in our life. And how that happens is in that place of desperation is that we recognize that God is in those places. Uh, Bob Sergei unpacked this beautifully in that message when he talks about your trial, your difficulty is not a tomb, it is a womb. And and, uh, I can't go into re-preaching that because he did a fantastic job. But it's recognizing God in the middle of the difficulty in the darkest time in your life, saying, God, you're here and you're with me. And you are shepherding me out of this. Brings us then to this place, and this is what God wants to really bring all of us into, is this trust of su- sufficiency. A trust of, sufin- of sufficiency. It's when you, when you come to a place of peace, even when God doesn't fix it. Okay? Have you been there? Have you been in a place where you're desperately crying for God to fix something, to make it right, to heal, to provide, and it's not coming, and yet in that moment, you have peace? I see some heads nodding. You've been there, and you've experienced that place of the God of sufficiency. It's not a one-time thing. It's something you come to again and again and again, and you grow into that place. Um, This is a rather long quote from the book Life Without Lack, but I'd like to to read it to you. It says, often God allows us to reach the point of desperation so we can learn how to trust. It is a hard lesson, but an essential one. The life without lack is known by those who have learned how to trust God in the moment of their need. In the moment of the need, not before the need, uh, the moment of need, not after the moment of need, when the storm has passed but in the moment of need, for it is at that moment when everything else is gone that you know the reality of God. That moment may be a blood-stained one, as with the faithful martyrs of Hebrews 11, or the stoning of Stephen from Acts 7, but it will also be a God-drenched one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some of you may say, you know, If I had known he was going to define lack and sufficiency that way, I wouldn't have bought this book. And I said, amen. (laughs) (laughs) I understand, but life without lack is all about knowing the unlimited uh, sufficiency of God in the moment of need. When you are betrayed, abandoned, lied about, scandalized, when you are sick with a fatal disease, when your finances are going down the drain, And when you see your loved ones walk through the doorway of hell, that is the moment to trust. And in trusting, you will know God. When you have nowhere else to turn except to God, and you turn to Him, your faith of desperation will meet the fullness of God, and you will taste the life without lack as you discover the depths of the faith of sufficiency. Isn't that powerful? Some of you recognize that because you've been there. Others are saying, you know, I've, I haven't really experienced that. But I trust that that is going to be a guide for you. That's going to help you when you come to that place that you can leverage your pain. You can leverage your disappointment. You can leverage the things that come into your life, not to push you away from God because that's Satan's plan, but to draw you closer to him, and there is no better tool to be able to do that. Coming to a faith of sufficiency is coming to a level of untrusting, uh, unwavering trust, rather unwavering trust in your shepherd. Okay, I've rewritten uh, Psalm 23 in the Rod Enos version um, <clears throat> to put trust in there, but um, it's okay. <laughs> this is how I would put it: I trust you to be my shepherd and that you're going to meet my needs. I trust you to provide my daily bread and to satisfy my thirsty soul. I trust you to heal and restore my soul. I trust uh, you to lead me in the way that is right. I trust you, even in the dark night of the soul, that you will give me hope, protect me from evil, leading and guiding me. I trust that even when it feels like everyone is against me, you are there for me. I trust that you are going to chase me down with your goodness and mercy and that I will be with you for all eternity. Amen? That's what trust is. <clears throat> it's a very practical thing to do that. In preparing for this message, Uh, Like I said, I asked about a dozen people to kind of help me as my preaching team. And so I got them on a text, and some of them were good at texting. Uh, Others, I had to call them up and talk to them on the phone. But I had, it was great. I mean, it was just an awesome thing. I uh, was talking with Samuel, and he was just telling me his story of being raised in a Christian home. And yet, some of the ups and downs. Uh, the things that really challenge his faith. God, are you really real? Are you really there? And I think all of us have been that. I can remember I was a pastor. Uh, I just become the pastor, actually, my first lead pastor position. And uh, I was sitting in my office, and I had this wave of doubt, saying, "Is this just all a game? God, are you are you really real? Have we just got this construct of Christianity?" And I, I, did, I, I had to wrestle through that. I had to settle that in my heart. And, and, of course, there's lots of evidence and lots of reasons to believe. But the enemy loves to bring that kind of doubt. And, and wrestling through that is it's normal. It's something that, that happens to us. And I was, I was talking with Rob Sekel, uh, and, and he was telling me his story of, of just, uh, I think, three times being basically fired for doing the right thing and trying to follow the avenues to to get things right. And and his supervisors and hires said, no, just shut up. And he couldn't. He couldn't not be truthful and to be honest and to stand for what was right and and went through that three times. And I asked him, I said, well, the third time, was it easier? He said, oh, yeah, (laughs) because I saw God's faithfulness. And so we build trust on seeing God's faithfulness, but you can't experience God's faithfulness without being in a hard time. We all want a miracle, right? But we don't want a reason for a miracle. Amen? But it's in that process that God draws us closer to Him, and we, we can see it. And, and, and there was others that, that uh, texted me, and Allison, and, and uh, Sally, and Minnie. Uh, but this is the summary. Each of them uh, had a different story, but common elements. They, They went through disappointment, loss, fear, worry, but in the midst of it, they learned to trust like they'd never trusted before. They saw the goodness of God. They saw the sufficiency of God. And that is what makes all of the difference in our lives. I believe that We are coming into a time, possibly even this year, where everything is going to shake like we've never seen shaken. Um, I don't say that as a prophetic word. I just see that as a common observation. I think if you're paying attention and not glued to the propaganda mainstream media, you know that there are things coming down and issues that are there that are not right. Um, People high up in the military are saying we are... Closer to World War III than we've ever been in the history of the world. Uh, people that are watching things on our southern border are saying, you know, there is a an invasion of 10.5 million people in the last four years. These are, a lot of them are good people. A lot of them are just desperate people. But there's a lot of bad actors that are coming across our border, and that I think that raises a concern to us. Uh, we're facing probably the most uh, volatile. Uh, important election uh, in the history of this nation this year. And so there's, there's things coming down. But that should not be a time for the people of God to be fearful. Not at all. That is an, uh, a recognition that God is at work, that God is doing something. We shouldn't be surprised by that because God said, I'm going to shake everything that's shakeable." To prove that which is unshakable. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26 is, at that time, his voice shook the earth, and now he has promised, once more, I will not only shake the earth, but also the heavens. So, this learning to walk in the reality of God as our shepherd, learning to live a life without lack, it's, it's not just to live a comfortable, nice life. It's, it's way, way more important than that. It's, it's about growing into a place that whether it's in your life personally or whether it's in our nation or whether it's globally, you are not shaken. You see things shaken, but your feet are grounded on an unshakable one. You are grounded in the one who is the only being in the universe that is without lack. And you say, He is my shepherd. I Will not want, I will not worry because the Lord is my shepherd. It's interesting when Michael, the archangel, was uh, speaking to Daniel after Daniel had fasted for 21 days and was seeking God, and the, the angel came to him and he began to describe the end time events in uh, uh, Daniel 10 and 11. And on, he said this in, in Daniel 11, verse 32. He says, by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. Okay, so those, uh, the, the Antichrist, the, the, the Antichrist, maybe I could say that plural, those who are against Christ, they are going to be with smooth words trying to bring deception. And those who have rejected the covenant of Jesus, and that is have rejected the fact that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, have rejected the fact that they need a Savior, have rejected that relationship with God, they uh, are going to be uh, deceived and they're going to be led astray. But this is the, this is the other side of it. But, those, but the people who know their God will display strength and take action. Those who... Know the Lord as their shepherd. Those who have come into a trust of sufficiency are not going to be shaken during this time. This is the greatest time in all of history to be alive because we're getting a front row seat to what God is going to do. And there's going to be a great conflict, there's no doubt. But it is no contest. You know, we've read the the back of the book, right? And we know we win, okay? But part of that question is how many of us will win? How many of us are going to be able to uh, stand in a place of sufficiency and just resting in God's incredible love to the degree that we do that? Verse 33 says this, though, and those who have insight among the people will give understanding to the many. In other words, when you are grounded, you are going to be a lifeline to your neighbors, to your friends to your relatives, and they're going to say, why are you not fearful? Why are you not shaking? Why are you not uh, afraid in this time? Uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew that men's hearts will fail them for fear. Uh, there will be, uh, in the natural, a lot of reason to fear. But those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. And they will lead many to righteousness. You see, coming into a place of living in a life without lack is not just about you. It's about those around you, those watching you and seeing you respond. You see, you can talk about Jesus, you can have a bumper sticker, and you can do all kinds of things, but you know the true test of Jesus being in you is when you go to hell and back, when you go through the hard time, when you go through the suffering, when you lose someone close to you. When, when difficult things happen, people watch you through that. And they say, that person, they know the Lord is a shepherd. And they're in that place of trust. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19 says, this confidence is like a strong, trustworthy anchor for the soul. God wants to be your anchor in the middle of whatever comes your way. I believe it was a Barnard or a pew research. I recently heard this. I was trying to find the, the data to, to confirm it. So if I'm off on this, forgive me. But in the last uh, 10, 20 years, 20 million Christians, people who have called themselves Christians, who have identified as Christians, have become nuns. No, not Roman Catholic nuns. Uh, nuns as in no religious affiliation. Okay? atheist or agnostic. 20 million, okay? And, and we've had some, some real public ones, you know, public worship leaders and even pastors and people that were, uh, you know, had a, a, a national-wide audience have, have turned away. What happened? How could that possibly be? Obviously, they did not know the Lord is a shepherd. Okay? They didn't have that anchor of the soul. Their, sha- their faith was shallow without any roots. And so they weren't able to survive those difficult times. Those difficult times caused them to become embittered. It caused them to become angry. It caused them to accuse God. It caused them to even to reject God. You'll never, never issue, have, wrestle with that if you learn to allow the Lord to be your shepherd, as you learn to let him be your all-sufficiency. But making the Lord your shepherd is something intentional and it requires full surrender. Did you see how nation just crossed his arms, closed his eyes? He didn't even know, he didn't want to know what's happening. He just, he fell, okay? That is a great picture because God doesn't give you the script ahead of time, does he? And you just say, God, I just know that you're trustworthy. And I've trusted myself and I've tried to do it on my own and it hasn't worked out very well. I think there's some of us maybe here that have kept God at a little bit of an arm's, arm's length. And say, God, I'll let you in this much, but I'm not going to surrender all. Some of you watching online, maybe you've never taken that step to say, Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. But it's an ongoing thing. Saying, yes, Lord, I trust you. I'm not going to trust the devil. I'm not going to give in to fear. But I'm going to trust your ability to redeem. That ability to work, even when I can't see it. Even when it just seems like everything's going the opposite way. I'm not going to trust in myself, but I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean upon my own understanding. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, you know our hearts. You know where each and every one of us is at this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're able to take this message and take these simple words and cause them to go past our intellect, past our mind and deep into our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us right now? Lord, is there an area of our life that we're holding back? that we're leaning on our own understanding? Is there an area in our lives where we've just not let go? We've not surrendered. We've kept this little portion of our life to ourselves and say, I'll run this, I'll manage this. I'll go to church. I'll go through the motions. But this particular area of my life I'll take care of that. Lord, would you just put your finger on that, if that's the truth, if that's the reality in us. In your love, Lord, would you bring just your deep, deep conviction. Come, Holy Spirit. I just would encourage you to make note, to make a note of what he's saying to you what he's bringing to your mind, what you're thinking about. And then taking that back to him, maybe this afternoon, this evening, and just doing business with God. And just getting that taken care of. I'm telling you, you don't want to hold anything back. Anything you hold back is lost. Anything you surrender is secure. Secure. grounded in them all sufficient all sufficient One, Lord this morning if there's someone here or online who has never fully surrendered their life to you Lord would you just draw them by your spirit would you reveal your love to them would you convict them They need what you did on the cross, Lord Jesus. Dying for their sin. And they need to receive that. They need to accept that. And they also need to surrender all of them to you. Lord, take them at this moment. And do that work inside of them, I pray. Lord, to seal the work of your spirit in our hearts today. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.